May I have your attention, please? Welcome to the Life in Tech podcast with Jay and Saad, where every week they will be sharing their experiences, insights, and opinions about working in the technology industry. Simply the best. <laughs> we're back for another episode of the Life in Tech podcast with Jay and Saad, and today we're talking about dual track career paths. Now, what is a dual track career path, and kind of why do we think this is important? So, a dual track career path is a set of career paths that gives people options. So kind of traditionally within the tech space and many other industries, actually, there's a linear path. So the linear path is you start off as a kind of practitioner um, or kind of a newbie rookie practitioner. You work your way up to kind of like a midway senior and then a manager effectively. Then for a manager, you might be in that role for a kind of particular years and you're leading people, you're managing people, doing one-to-ones, all this kind of stuff. With a dual track career path, we're giving people the option to remain a practitioner for as long as possible or for as long as they will, which means that they can still accelerate in their careers and move upwards without having to, I guess, hold the people management skills or or have responsibility over other individuals within the team. This is something which we think is important, or at least kind of I think is important uh, for a number of reasons. And the main reason is it gives people choice and it, it helps with employee retention uh, within the company. Um, because if you don't provide these options, you're effectively enforcing a structure on people or you're providing a glass ceiling that people can never um, kind of go beyond as well. So with that said, Saad, like, how do you feel about kind of dual track? Do you think that is the right way to go? Or do you think the linear kind of way where can people kind of move up the ranks, become people managers is, is here to stay and I guess is the better option? Before I give you an answer to that, I'm trying to apply it to, for example, like an engineer, mm. a typical web engineer. Mm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've never thought about it with that title, right? I know what it looks like, but I've never thought about it with an official title that you've just mm. given. So what you mean, is it me being an engineer carrying out day-to-day tasks still programming still coding but then going into a management role but still having that hands-on coding program like is that what you mean that's like half of it so i think that's the traditional that's uh, traditional yeah but so you're, how would but that you're look still like people managing how would that look like for me as an engineer the dual track yes so one aspect of it is you're moving on a path which kind of takes you into people management right Right. And the more the further you move down that path, the further away from the actual craft you become, right? Mm-hmm. So you become more focused on people and less yep. focused on the actual tangible yep. um, kind of output. Now the dual track, so this is the second pathway, mm-hmm. means that you remain a practitioner, mm-hmm. you remain kind of very hands-on, but now you're moving up the ranks as say the go-to person for a specific part of mm-hmm. the experience or the engineering team. So these are what we would kind of traditionally call principle to answer that i think it's a very good thing Mm. and the reason why is because a lot of engineers anyway have this misconception that okay what do i do after senior i don't want to go into management i don't want to go in that area i want to do i want to stay in the the hands-on area Mm. where do i go like what is after senior is it just increments in salary and then i remain on that title what is the and i've seen a lot of companies using different titles for what you just explained mm. so we've got the principal like you said and then we've also got the staff engineer yeah and there's also and that was like pioneered by google right if i'm not mistaken mm. yeah if i'm not mistaken if i can remember correctly then yes we, we need to, we need to double check that. that yeah so i think it's a very good thing because it allows it allows for growth it allows for vision 
vision, right? It allows for opening up an individual's pathway and allowing them to see further than mm. than what is traditional, mm. which is the junior, the, the midweight, yeah. the senior, you know? But then there's also lead. Mm. Where does lead fall into that, right? So is the principal, question for you, is principal staff past the lead or is it in parallel with the lead? Well, that's the thing, right? Because if you look at it in the traditional sense, the lead, by definition, you're leading people, right? By, de- by de- definition of leading. So if that if that is the case, then I would expect a lead position to kind of involve some sort of kind of people, um, kind of people management skills or people leadership kind of capability being applied to it. Whereas a principal is more of a, I suppose, exempt. I would say exemplary. So you're providing the set example for the team for a particular area or specialism. So you literally reach like the highest echelons of that particular kind of specialism within your team. And you are now kind of taking full ownership over that. And instead of like managing, as in like managing people's careers and doing one-to-ones with this kind of stuff, you might be more in the kind of advisory or if not advisory, but mentoring, I guess, kind of zone as a, as a principal. Mm-hmm. So the people that you may de facto be kind of leading aren't necessarily your responsibility. So as a manager, those people are your responsibility, right? right? Their career growth, how they feel at work, their responsibilities and their work clothes, all this kind of stuff, that's your responsibility. But as a principal, you might still be able to influence others and mentor others, but those people that you're kind of mentoring and influencing, they're not your responsibility. Right. Like, that's not part of your role. Right, right. I got you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So kind of, these are kind of two kind of paths, pathways uh-huh. where one, you're kind of focusing in homing your skills on the specialism and the craft itself and kind of getting better and better and better and teaching others how to kind of get there. And then the other side is team building, basically. I think it's a very good thing because mm. it also allows space for others to get into the industry. Yeah. So for example, you know, if a company does care about employee retention, then they move, you know, some of their, their seniors into these roles, then they need to fill those senior roles, mm. right? So um, I think it's a very good thing. I mm. think it allows people to also see that, you know, as they say, sky's the limit mm. type of thing and really allows people to envision them being a go-to person for specific things and allows them to hone certain skills and become experts at certain things because I think it's quite damaging is the jack of all trades Mm. you know where someone knows a few like a little bit of a lot of things mm. and they don't you know hone and lock down specific skills mm. and become an expert and become one of those community contributors right and I feel like these type of roles allows you to do that and if you mm. look at well from an engineering perspective all the, the people in the community that I follow mm. some of the engineers that the work that I follow from like the Google engineers and some you know of the, the larger companies and corporations out there is you always find that they knuckle down on a few things mm. like there might be someone who's really good at accessibility and they're like mm. the go-to person for that there might be someone who's really good at javascript or, or react js or something and they're the go-to person for that and you might see them on on reddit doing like mm. ask me anything sessions mm. and stuff like that so i feel like these type of roles allows people to envision that they can become a community contributor interesting and this is quite important because we both know that doing things outside of your work mm. can benefit mm. the things that you do at your work for example us just having this conversation right now true true right we can then show that we might have some inner information about okay there are these roles and this is how you reach them and stuff like that and we can advise other people about it mm. so it's important that people have that vision and, and know that these th- 
things are available to them. Mm. And I think it's a really good thing. And I feel like if companies are adopting these roles, then it shows that these companies are at the forefront of understanding what these titles mean. Because we both know that titles are just made up sometimes. Mm. And the res- when you look at the responsibilities of that role, it doesn't amount to... To what they're actually pulling out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing. And to be honest with you, I've only started hearing about the principles, the staffs and all of this in the last three years, something mm. like that, right? So I don't know. Is it a new thing? Is something I haven't uh, looked into? I don't think I don't think it's that new in general, but I know a lot of companies don't adhere to that, right? So a lot of companies do kind of follow the kind of traditional um, kind of career track where as you move up, you gain more people basically and who kind of fall under your responsibility. Now, like I am a fan of the dual track, but I'm also against it as uh, well. Okay, interesting. Right? So, like, why is that? Well, let me say kind of why I'm for it. So I'm for it because it provides diversification and it allows people to take a bit more kind of control over their careers because they can decide what path they want to go down. If right. they have the self-awareness to acknowledge that, you know, people management might not be for them, but homing in on their craft is something that they can actually kind of get down with and move into a specialism and kind of become a principal. Having that principal role gives them something to obtain, right? And kind of aspire to. And it also kind of helps companies and kind of employers, managers, and, you know, I've been in a situation like that where if the structure isn't there, so if you have the traditional structure and you don't have a dual track structure, if someone's a manager and they're not performing as a, like well in a ma- as a manager, you can't necessarily demote them, right? So you have to, or you kind of, you're, you're forced into a position where you have to let someone go, right? Whereas if you have a dual track, then it actually opens up the possibility to be that, hey, like you can have a difficult conversation and say, you know, things aren't working out. Interesting. But you have an option to mm. retain that skill set mm. and move them into something which is of a similar level, but something that actually suits their skill set a lot better. We That's why I'm in, for it. Mm, I get that. And we need to remember that the management path is not set out for everyone. And there are some soft skills that are required that, it's not. that a lot of people struggle with. And um, A lot of people get forced into it, right? And, mm, and, and then, I and, think of it like and that. then they, it gets flagged that, you know, oh, they're not performing well as a manager. Right, right. But they were actually a great engineer or they were a great designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. What, if you haven't got that structure in place, what do you do? Okay, we have to let that person go, but then you're losing someone who is actually good at the craft itself, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, they're valuable. And they're yeah. valuable. So yeah. you, you end up in a very difficult situation yeah, yeah. where you could have the option to actually transition them into a principal. Right. Now, what becomes on the flip side of that, from my perspective, is I feel like there's a glass ceiling. Okay. Right? So what happens when you become a principal? Where do you go from there? If you look at if you look at all of the like highest kind of possible kind of leadership roles within within the tech industry, yeah. right? You're gonna be you might be kind of a VP of technology or digital or VP of UX or chief transformation officer, chief digital officer, chief technology officer, chief design officer, experience officer, whatever, yeah? All of those positions require people management. So in order to reach the very top, and there are a lot of people that do want to reach reach those positions, you have to go down the people management route as it currently stands. Start the cycle again, principal. Yeah. Junior principals, <laughs> senior. <laughs> so it's, it's like never ending, you know? It's a difficult one because it's a good point. Mm. Like, say you do reach principal engineer, principal product designer, whatever. Yeah. In the realm of the craft, you've mm. kind of made it to the pinnacle. You're the pinnacle of the, the peak of the craft itself. Mm. Like, you're the go to person, right? But where do you go from there, right? Is it now something where you maybe have to start to try to adopt some of those management skills? 
skills or or you just continue staying that's what i mean if you continue staying there until you retire like what what's next that's what i mean like it's it's, it's hard right like does the principle just i guess kind of prolong the time that it takes for you to move eventually you have to move into management what about advocate because i've seen like google do it right, that's a new one for me i don't know what I so advocate is like I, i've seen evangelist Mike, yeah i've seen microsoft and google do it it's like developer advocate for example i think i saw one at microsoft and it was developer advocate and he worked on the, um, the visual studio code editor so what visual studio code is the coding editor that we use you could say like it's probably the most popular one at the moment amongst uh, programmers and it's where the code gets written in right and he was a developer advocate on the vs code team mm. so what he used to do is build or advocate new features and kind of you know do a lot of conference talks and community building and stuff like that he's a salesman <laughs> Well, that's what salespeople do. Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know. <laughs> they, knock, but, they knock on doors and sell the features. <laughs> but I just remember when I saw that title. And if you're listening to this and you're an advocate, a developer advocate yourself, so I'd really like to know what it is that you do. So please leave some comments and, and contact us. I remember just seeing that title and not really understanding what it is. However, something which is, I wouldn't say common, but does happen a lot. And that is developers and engineers, when they do reach that pinnacle peak area, mm. they do commonly move into like technical project management because there's no other yeah they've run out of options right? yeah they run out of options so now what comes with project management i mean product management again managing you managing individuals yeah it's a difficult one because it's hard, man. yeah it's a very difficult one it that's is. why like i'm for it but yeah. i still feel like i feel like it just elongates the process mm -hmm. do you know what i mean mm -hmm. like eventually if you want to move up in your career mm -hmm. at some point or another you're going to be managing people whether it's directly or indirectly you could become a mentor just being paid for it yeah and there's quite a few channels out there where you can do but that. I guess you can also argue that the principal role is kind of mentoring within your own team yeah yeah it's difficult if anyone's listening to this and has surpassed the, the, the principal role or the staff role please let us know because what is it that you do now and did you do it and still manage to avoid people management Here's a question. So you manage people, right? And Actually, you manage you manage quite a large team, actually. Yeah. Right. Why do some people not like doing it? Or what is that thing that holds them back from wanting to, to manage people? Or is it that they, they feel like they can't? Or is it... What are the, the things that hold people back? I can't speak personally, but from what I've been told from uh, people who aren't for people management or have been found themselves people managing and said, hey, that, um, this isn't for me. Mm. It's You're shifting to being from, from being responsible for yourself to being responsible for others right mm. so it's not just your career that you're focused on now now you're focused on on making sure that everyone else is getting what they need to grow and to excel and to move up the ladder as well and, and that's a lot of responsibility mm -hmm. to kind of place on an individual right mm -hmm. and you also have to kind of take in the fact that all of your team are different in terms of like personalities skills the way you think how they mm -hmm. communicate mm -hmm. and you have to be able to understand and switch how you then can communicate and as you I guess kind of engage with each of your team members so that in itself is very difficult to learn you know like a lot of people kind of know one one or two ways to kind of communicate with others but if you've got a team and especially a large one you need to know kind of how to switch your hat and how to talk to people in different ways and especially that when different cultures are now involved you know it's like you have to kind of be kind of mindful and respectful of that also so it's important you know and I think that's why people kind of shy away from it because 
because some people recognize the importance of that and kind of how, like, would you rather be responsible for 30 people or yourself? Well, it's easier to be responsible for yourself because you know yourself, but you don't know the challenges that those 30 other individuals are going to are going to bring you. So it's extremely important. So while you was explaining that, mm. I took the liberty of Googling what is after principal engineer mm. or staff engineer, mm. right? And I found senior staff engineer, but then I found something which I've never heard before. Distinguished engineer. Okay, what's that? Distinguished engineers are individual contributors, meaning they don't manage anyone directly. Okay. Who are members of engineering or tech architecture teams. On the distinguished engineer career path, they are able to continue evolving into increasing levels of senior, like... Status. Yeah, senior status without becoming people leaders. But here's the question. Hmm. How do you keep evolving into senior status? Yeah. Like, what is, what is the work that comes... What are the additional responsibilities? Yeah. Because as you grow and, and also a career that, that you're gaining more responsibilities, right? That's the whole point. Yeah, and also that description, mm. that sounds like a, a principal engineer. It sounds like a principal, yeah. An, indi- an individual contributor, meaning they don't manage anyone directly, who are members of the engineering or tech architecture team. Mm. That's a principal. So I think what it, my... It just what, means a salary increase. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's what I can understand with a fa- from that. With a fancy title you can use on LinkedIn. Exactly. Like, I just feel like it's dependent on the company itself. Mm. Like you have uh, some companies that like to title certain roles a certain way, mm. right? Like you have some companies that will say front-end developer or front-end engineer, they, or, you know, product designer or, mm. you know, I don't know, full-stack designers. Does that exist? Yeah, yeah product designers basically. Right. So I think it all comes down to the company themselves and how they like to title things. Because from what I just read there, that's a principal engineer. Mm. But then it said on that website that that's after a principal engineer. So who knows? Find the definition of a principal. Or a principal yeah, engineer. Yeah, because I think this will clarify things, right? Okay. If, if we know the definition of a, st- um, what's it called? A distinguished Dis- engineer. Distinguished engineer. Yeah. It's someone who can work their way up right. the leadership ladder right. and have status while still being an IC but not have any people management skills. And what does a principal do then? What is a principal engineer? A principal engineer is a highly experienced engineer who oversees a variety of projects from start to finish. See, that's different than distinguished. So a distinguished Since they have been in their field for a while, they tend to take on more of a leadership role where they offer support and guidance to it. That's like mentorship. Mentorship, exactly. Where, okay, so maybe... So they distinguish, what, are they focused on one project? (laughs) That's a good question. I did say the distinguished is also a part of like the wider architectural team. Mm. So maybe they're looking at the technology from a very higher level, whereas the principal is kind of... They're in the trenches still. Pinpointing. So like a distinguished is more like a, like a general if you're looking at it from, from a warlord and then perspective the principal was still in the trenches but they're they're kind of leading from the back but then what's the staff and senior staff <laughs> it's okay. mind boggling isn't it I think everyone should just be <laughs> just I think rise. I think everyone should just be like designer engineer but then differences in their salaries due to their performance Ooh. why do we need titles so we can justify the differences in the salary <laughs> but just justify it based on I think that I'll, individual's I think I'll work somewhere no, no do you know what I worked somewhere and they literally just had like UX designer right and you and you'd have a UX designer who was literally straight from uni yeah you'd have a UX designer who had been in the field for like 10 years 
right. But the titles were the same. UX designer and UX designer. Mm-hmm. They were both getting paid drastically different. Right. But the title remained the same. The title remained the same. That would solve a lot of problems. Imagine everyone's just called employee. But does it solve problems? Because in that situation, yeah. for some crazy reason, I don't know why, but those who had the least experience were complaining that they were not being paid as much as... <laughs> The others <laughs> with the same job title because they have the same job title. Yeah. Do you, know, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I feel like having that senior kind of prefix demands a greater salary. Do you feel like titles causes like narcissism though? How do you mean? As in what people like become their titles? Yeah. Like do you feel like... And start throwing their weight around. Uh, yeah. that, that kind of thing? Yeah. Or... Do you feel like that, that stems from like titles? Yeah, I would say so. Like some people are chasing the title mm-hmm. because they feel like it gives them authority and power yeah. over other individuals visuals so right. some people do chase it for that that's interesting you know maybe we should um, we should tackle that on a future episode yeah, what uh, one gives you more status yeah. principal engineer or CTO even though the, like the principal engineer could be contributing so much more mm. than the CTO that's interesting do you know I mean? like, who's but, more inf- yeah. influential yeah yeah but that's interesting imagine we were all just employee mm. employee number I, one oh, no, ID Two. one <laughs> you know <laughs> hashtag zero one I swear it was like that once once upon a time <laughs> <laughs> it might be like that still it's everyone, everyone's just a number an ID like no names yeah blow you one can you please uh, report to HR I've seen it in a movie or something <laughs> that's crazy but yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure how you can avoid the people side of things I just don't get it I mean you deal with so many different types of people on a daily basis mm. you know and it's for me it's mind boggling that and this could be from ignorance you know but I think it's a fair assumption that you deal with so many different types of people that your soft skills mm. must be being worked somewhere yeah. one way or another even if you do struggle in certain areas mm. and that's fine like soft skills are not an easy thing to deal with mm. you know and especially if you do find it difficult to you know to execute them I do feel like because if you do work in like an open space office and you're dealing with so many different types of people every day that no doubt certain areas of your soft skills are being exercised on a daily basis and I feel like even if you don't see yourself in those people managing roles how would you know you're, you're not good at it if you don't try it exactly right and this is like something that I actually remind myself on many areas of life actually like oh I'm not going to try that food because it just doesn't look nice mm. but how do you know that like the taste no, and the look I is completely different I don't know maybe like the role for I, example I the role the role on paper yeah. the role on paper might be so intimidating mm. and you're like I'm not that person I can't have these difficult conversations I can't say no to people I can't tell other people what to do I can't manage mm. people under the... but then when you're actually put in those situations you start to find oh actually I can give constructed feedback I can mm. direct someone to a certain goal and a task in a way which is not belittling and mm. and uh, passive aggressive and stuff like that right Just so how, how would you know in it until yeah, you try yeah. it it's you true know? it's true how would you know like there's this argument among self-taught engineers mm. that coding is so intimidating you know you must know how to do math you must have a, a computer mm. science degree you must you must have all these factors mm. right and then one day you just try it and you're like actually it's, there's a lot of logic that goes into mm. this there's a lot of things that I already know how to do it's not you know I'm not I'm not going to be little and say it's not difficult it is challenging mm. but how would you know until you try something and this is my point is I think a lot of people do not exercise their true potential mm. again it comes back to imposter syndrome mm. like because they just feel like I'm not going to be good at this mm. 
mm. when you might have people validating you around you saying, you know, you'd be very good at managing people mm. because of X, Y, and Z reasons. But you just, you in yourself, you don't have that belief. And that's why self-belief is so imperative to your career growth. Mm. It's imperative. Even if the entire company is shutting you down, if you have that self-belief, you can still go places that you want yeah, yeah. to go to. But you see it time and time again. And you see it all the time. All these, I mean, I know some of these motivational videos are a bit cheesy, but there's a lot of truth to a lot of them. Yeah. You know, if you don't believe in yourself, then if you don't love yourself, then how can you expect other people to love you and to believe in you? And I feel like a lot of these areas in the, the professional world is the moment you say, I can't do something or someone else tells you you're not good enough for that mm. certain thing, you should challenge that and you should actually say, well, actually, I'm going to try it first. Mm. Then I'm going to listen to the mm. feedback, right? We don't need to create new roles because we feel like we can't go into certain roles. No, what we need to do is put our energy into things that we feel like we can't do and at least try it. Also, like, do you think like that being said, do you think it's a cop out? So if you if you don't take the management track or mm-hmm. say the linear path mm-hmm. and you are looking for that kind of principal, I guess kind of career pathway, you think that's a cop out? No. So then what what is it then? Because if you're not like if you're avoiding that situation and avoid avoiding because that, because you, you might be very secure in what you want. A lot of people, it's, a, it's just an assumption, but I think it's a very strong assumption is that a lot of people are uncertain what they want, mm. right? They're just day by day crafting and battling through their tasks, mm. hoping that one day it's going to present itself. This mm. pinnacle of my career is going to present itself. I don't know what I want. And there are some people that are so secure and they know exactly what you want, mm. what they want. That assessment, Oh yeah. how many questions was it saying, you know what you want, mm. you go towards what you want, Mm. you clearly distinguishing those that are secure in their thought process Mm. right there's a lot of people that are not like that there's a lot of people who don't know what they want there's a lot of engineers that don't know what type of engineer they want to remain at Mm. there's a lot of engineers that will say I'm tired of front end now I want to move to back end now I want to become full stack now I want to become DevOps now you know people live in uncertainty Mm. so it's not a cop out I feel like some people are just so certain in what they want Mm. that they just drive 110 miles per hour towards it Mm. continuously until they meet that are you one of those that goal um now i am Mm. now i am yes i would say i'm one of those people now i definitely am i know what i've wanted like career-wise i know what i wanted yeah yeah yeah. for a long time yeah just now i am i used to be hammered towards i I used to i wouldn't say full full uncertainty but coming from like because i've shifted Mm. career paths like i you know studied design and Mm. moved into engineering and no doubt that creates a lot of areas that you might like hold on "Ah, should i be here am Mm. i good enough for this but then when you battle through that and you just produce work and you work at good companies and you get good feedback and the proof is in the pudding as they Mm -hmm. say right and this is not to blow my own horn Mm. this is it's just the reality then you start to to have that self-belief that hold on a minute you know it's okay to say that i'm i feel like i'm good at something mm. and it's okay to to have that self-recognition and it's okay to drive forward at 110 miles per hour and get what i want to get because i feel like i'm deserving of it because of my hard work mm. and persistence and grit that i provided in the last eight to ten years yeah right so i don't think it's a cop out at all i just feel like it's dependent on the person themselves mm. it's unfortunate that you see so many people suffer from this this lack of self-belief mm. and you yourself can see so much potential in them yeah that's so you know as a manager it's a, that can be 
very frustrating. It's frustrating, it's upsetting, and also it can be quite soul draining for the team, the mm. morale of the team, because you might have someone on your team who's so good. Mm. That you can the, just see it. The ideas that they present are just way outside of the box and the other members of the team, and they just do not see it. Mm. And no matter what you do and what you say to them, they just continuously live in that self doubt. And this is why the imposter syndrome is so real mm. and it requires serious work to tackle because there's some people who you literally put the evidence in front of them. You did this. Like, mm. you delivered this. Mm. You wrote this piece of code. Mm. I approved it. Like, mm. I, I I did the code review. I, you know, the team's happy. With, and then you can just see, oh, man, I'm, I'm not good at this and I'm not mm. good at this. And I'm not, it's just continuous beating themselves down. And that's unfortunate. And it's very sad to see. But um, no, it's not a cop-out at all. And I feel like if you do know what you want and you do drive towards that, who can tell you otherwise? True. Who has the authority to say that you shouldn't be doing that? But also, like, not everyone... I know I used a reference earlier. Mm. Um, you know, of that the glass ceiling. But we do also need to kind of realize that there are a lot of people that are content and happy like being in that role and they could happily like be in a similar role. That's fine also. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. You know, but don't be that person mm. that complains when oh, someone the comes peers are getting promotions. And... Yeah. Don't be that person because you've outright chosen that path. Mm. Right? Don't be that person who has that double standard and mm. starts complaining when someone comes in later than you but now they're managing you. <laughs> they're managing you, right? Don't be that person yeah, yeah, if yeah. that's if that's what you want. So it's a very interesting topic and i feel like it does differ from company to company organization to organization mm. and individual to individual 100 because a principal engineer or a distinguished engineer that we learned today mm. that could be someone's pinnacle that yeah. could be someone's peak that could mm. be someone's retirement goal Mm. where they say okay by the age of 50 mm. I don't know 60 whatever the, the, the retirement age is now I want to be a principal engineer and I want mm. to retire at that and I'm happy with that and that's fine Yeah. and no one has the authority or yeah no one can take that away from you mm. no one can take that away from you no, that's very interesting I had a question on the tip of my tongue mm -hmm. do you think that those who kind of reach that kind of principal stage they may have kind of exhausted their potential potentially so like they've reached it they've reached like maximum potential or do you think that everyone has always has untapped potential because you mentioned that they might have been at their pinnacle but people might have potential that they haven't even kind of realized yeah and i think that's why it comes down to ensuring that you're mentored in the right way mm. for example um you might be in a company that has a really good engineering culture and it doesn't just mean an engineering culture doesn't just mean the work that you're producing it means that you have individuals amongst the engineering team that are at the forefront mm. of sharing knowledge at the forefront of mentoring people not by just giving them verbal advice mm. but actually sitting next to them and pushing them through obstacles and mm. making them see what they cannot see mm. for example what's damaging to an engineer and every great engineer would i hope would agree with this is that if you hold the your your peers' hands too much, meaning you don't give them clues about things that they're seeking, but you tell them exactly what the answer is, that can actually be damaging to their learning curve because and their progression. So for example, a peer might say to me, I don't know how to do this. I've mm. been I've got this bug and I can't solve it. I don't know what, what's going on. Yeah. And you can see it right away. Yeah. Right? Now I've got a choice to make. Mm. I'm gonna circle back to your answer. Mm. I know it seems like I'm I'm going out a bit, but I'll circle back to it. I can see what the issue is straight away. 
away. Mm. I've got a choice to make. I could either say, Jay, look at line number seven. You've got a typo there. Or I could say, Jay, read the error carefully. Mm. It's saying type error and it's pointing to that file. Mm. What's better for your learning curve? What's better for, what is better for the situation there and then is me saying, Jay, line seven, typo, get it out. Mm. Let's deliver this. Mm. Everyone goes home happy. But what's better for your learning curve long term? The second one. Why? Because I've taught you how to read the error. So next time you see the error. Yeah, you know how to spot it yourself. You know how to spot it, mm. right? And that doesn't happen enough in engineering cultures. Circling back to what you said, this is why it's important to have good engineering cultures and good mentors amongst the team. And those mentors don't necessarily have to be your heads and your leads. Mm. There could be individuals amongst in the in the trenches, as you say, that are just good speakers, that are good presenters, that are good mm. teachers in general, like naturally, right? And if you have that type of culture, mm. then you know they could the company's obviously approval of that can map out mm. that part. So to say, how do you know that you've reached your true potential? Mm. Well, the KPIs of that engineering culture, right? The KPIs of, of, of the company and stuff like that, that can help you see mm. that pinnacle, right? Whereas a lot of people will have this, this assumption of that's what the pinnacle is. But then if you've got a really strong culture, a really good company that cares about the, the, the progression and the growth of their employees, and they've, with advice from other leading engineers, have mapped out mm. what a pinnacle looks like, and you reach that, mm. that's going to feel really different mm. to when you have just made up your own pinnacle, quote unquote. So I'm fearful. I'm a bit fearful of, of this pathway in the current in the current day and age. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at a lot of, um, kind of people's profiles and kind of CVs that get submitted, a lot of people jump from company to company and mm-hmm. they move up the ranks extremely quickly, mm-hmm. right? And like, I'm, I'm the same. I'm part of this as well. Now, you could reach a principal level mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it begs the question, like, can you peak too early? And then mm, if you do mm. get to that peak, because... The others around you will say he, he or she has not, are not deserving of it that. might not have earned it, but at the same time, yeah, for yeah. your own personal growth, yeah. what does that, does that come at a detriment to your career? So the reason that I say that is that um, there's a lot of people who I've encountered who kind of reach a level of kind of leads and have been kind of design and engineering kind of by the time they're in their kind of mid-20s. And then if you're going to say, okay, then what the next step after that, you're like maybe like one or two steps um, kind of before becoming a principal. By the time you're say 30 for argument's sake you've reached the limit right in terms of like where that career can take you unless they offer the distinguished engineer role right Right. or designer role you've reached that limit now if you look at the facts that most people kind of retire in like the late 50s kind of or 60s -hmm. that that requires 30 years being at that level Mm -hmm. right but this is the thing where do you go from there whereas the management path and, and this is why I feel like the management path has more kind of longer term benefits is mm-hmm. by the time someone's 30, they could become a head, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's not kind of abnormal. Mm-hmm. But once you become a head, you can become a director. Mm-hmm. You can become a senior director, VP. With each career step that you make, mm-hmm. the longer you have to spend in that role to make an impact. This is what I would do. So mm-hmm. this is what I would do. If I did take that principal route, Mm. right what's the difference between the two besides the people manager right what's the Mm. difference between the two the first one has more stages Mm. so we could let's call this more balconies to reach right so it's more stages to reach the second one the principal staff route Mm. is very linear right so what i would do is that i would create those balconies Mm. by project by projects because 
What I mean by this is a principal engineer or distinguished or staff or whatever it is, we can argue that they are very good at solving problems, mm. right? Technical problems mm. or design problems or whatever, yeah. just problems, good yeah. problem solvers, very strong problem solvers. Mm. Now you can create those, let's call them, um, yeah, the balconies, the stages that the, the first group have to go through to reach all those titles by projects. So find problems in the world and solve them. You can become an individual contributor. You don't have to work for a company. Mm. You would be like a consultant. Mm. Consultant doesn't move, doesn't become senior consultant, uh, staff consultant, principal consultant. You're just a consultant. So you're saying the next step is basically to become independent? Yeah, why not? Mm. And offer... You don't have to completely leave the company mm. that you're working for. You can always offer your consultancy to them because mm. you've got that good morale with them and that good, and you understand the business very if, well. If. if you have that good morale mm. with them and you understand the business very mm. well and you, you have a good relationships and, and the list goes on, but you can go independent and find real problems in the world and solve them because you now have that independency in thinking. You have those skills. You have those that mastery and that expertise in, in particular skills that you can offer out to mm. the wider world you don't have to stay in the confinement so contracting contracting is what we would call it from the uk yes yeah. but i would go further than that and say mentorship contracting consultancy you just being an individual who mm. is a go-to in that particular community you don't have to be stuck to the confinements of the company that you work at you can become a consultant to them as long as you're willing to kind of make the particular sacrifices required yeah right? because because going alone means that you have to find your own client yeah you but, run your but this is the thing if you you're if you're business. really good at what you do yeah and you know your online presence is very strong your brand is very strong people will find you and i read a beautiful quote that just made me feel so you know satisfied with my mm. self and being my unique self mm. is behave authentically you mm. so those looking for you can find you interesting there's a group of people or mm. person or something in the world that's looking for someone like you yeah yeah right there's billions of human beings in this world so behave who you are and the uniqueness of yourself because there are a group of people or there's something out there who is looking for someone like you i think this is great and i also think that you've actually kind of touched on something which a lot of people aren't prepared for mm -hmm. so you might just suddenly find yourself mm -hmm. right at the top in that principal role mm -hmm. and you haven't done the preparation so yeah. you, over the years you haven't been building a a profile for yourself yeah right you um, kind of haven't been able to kind of build that rapport in the way where kind of people are going to reach out to you mm -hmm. and you haven't kind of put yourself out there where you're easily kind of accessible um, mm -hmm. kind of to those in the world to find you and to kind of see your uniqueness so i think that kind of prerequisite to kind of becoming a principal that i think people should kind of take away is that if that is the track that you want to take and you don't want the people management aspect of leadership then prepare yourself for to step after principal yeah which by the sounds of it is most likely going to be going independent or yeah. creating your own kind of yeah. business. Yeah. And use other mediums. Mm. Like you and I, what did, what did we do? You know, we knew nothing about podcasting. Mm. We knew, I didn't know how to even operate an audio recorder. Mm. I had no idea. And you're a chief engineer. Yeah. Now it's, <laughs> now I've got this massive interface in front of me and, yeah. you know, is try different mediums. You know, you don't always have to use the traditional medium in where you work. For example, I'm a web engineer. I don't always have to be crafting against the mm. web like i can talk about web engineering on different mediums mm. 
like podcasting, like, you know, video, like whatever. And this will aid in your uh, personal branding. It, it will aid in, you know, building relationships. Look at the type of people we've met on this journey, yeah. you know, and the conversations we've had. Always look for areas where you can put yourself in to for it to give you something in return that you can add towards reaching that quote-unquote mm. pinnacle, whatever you deem it to be. Mm. And um, I think we'll wrap this up here. This has been a very interesting conversation because I learned a few things on this show on this episode i had no idea what a distinguished engineer is um it's got me thinking now mm. like where do i stand like where, where do i station myself and so it's very interesting but we will definitely continue this and i feel like we should maybe seek out a principal engineer mm. and a principal designer yeah and if you are listening out there and you are at the the quote-unquote pinnacle of your career whatever that means to you reach out to us we'd love to have a conversation with you absolutely we would love to continue this discussion and we want to know what people are doing out there Exactly. How do you fulfill your career? How do you fulfill these titles and these expertise? And what do you do that's differing from other people? Mm. Reach out to us. This has been the Life and Tech Podcast with Jay and Saad, and we'll catch you on the next one. Take care.